edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, it's a race, Castro's criticism, and impeachment. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper State House Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Jim. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. It is a good morning. And you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, it's a race. New polls out this week confirm what Iowans have been seeing in recent weeks. The Iowa caucuses. Iowa caucus campaign has been turned upside down. No, I don't mean John Delaney and Marianne Williamson are leading the field. However, Uncle Joe <laughs> Biden and Bernie Sanders, who nearly won the caucuses four years ago, have been displaced by a couple of newcomers. Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg are out in front for the moment. However, there are 80 days until the February 3rd caucuses, and the lead could change again and again, and, well, you get it. Perhaps the biggest news from the poll was the, from polls this week was the Monmouth University poll that you wrote about, Aaron. Uh, what's the news there, and what's the significance from that poll? Well, um, a couple of things, and the one um, that uh, thing that uh, stands out to me is we, we've kind of settled on, um, for the time being, anyways, a field of leaders, and 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 we we talk a lot about. Um, uh, you know, Pete Buttigieg taking the lead in one of them for the first time, and Elizabeth Warren's been leading. Uh, and that's important, but I think what's maybe even more important um, to keep in mind is, is the, to look at this is that um, we've seen lately some pretty consistent, um, pretty consistently that these four have are, are, are leading in these polls and, and in this race. Um, uh, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden. Um, they, they've been the tier above the rest of the field. Um, the, now there's still time, as Jim noted, for that to change, and, and someone could fall off. Some others could, uh, from that pack behind them, whether it's Amy Klobuchar or someone else, there's still still room for them to, 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 uh, to get into the race. Um, the other interesting thing that I like to look at, especially this far out, and knowing the way the caucuses work, is is the is the candidates' second choices, and, and that that that's always provides some interesting um, information. And uh, right now, as of now, that's been an added dose of good news for Pete Buttigieg because when you look at some of the other um, candidates, and especially those candidates who are at polling numbers where they would not be um, viable past the first round of the caucuses, wouldn't have that 15% level of support that they need. Uh, among all those candidates, Pete Buttigieg is um, most commonly the second choice, um, you know, of the Kamala Harris uh, supporters and Cory Booker supporters and, and Amy Klobuchar supporters. Um, Pete Buttigieg is a very common second choice for those types of candidates. So if that, Holds, if that turns out to be the case on caucus night, that could be something that, that really helps um, Pete Buttigieg on caucus night if all of those candidates are not viable and they decide to team up with Buttigieg instead uh, in that second round. 
Um, so there's just there's always interesting stuff, but but uh, again, the, the the big headline is there's a four there's a group of four that have been pretty consistent leaders. They're all very close margins. They're they're in a pack close to each other, and there's still a ton of time and still a lot of people who are undecided. Um, one thing I didn't add and should real quick, um, roughly in the last couple of polls, including Monmouth here, roughly two thirds of the of the poll respondents say they. Um, haven't made up their mind or are willing to change their mind. So this thing remains remarkably fluid, despite that consistency in the lead pack. A Hawkeye Hawkeye poll from the University of Iowa came out last week or this week um, and showing Warren is solidifying her lead as the front runner, um, 23% followed by independent Bernie Sanders at 18% and and Buttigieg and Biden virtually tied at 15.5 and 15.3% respectively. That must have been like one voter who couldn't make up their mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like the Monmouth poll, it showed uh, Buttigieg rising, Warren led. Um, but it also found that fewer than a third of registered voters, likely caucus goers, are quote-unquote strongly committed to their first-choice candidate. Uh, as Aaron was saying, it seems fluid yet. So let, let's just go around the horn here and get some perspective on these polls and what you're seeing on the ground. Uh, does it do these poll numbers square with what you're seeing as you're covering candidates and, and talking to folks? Um, I guess are Democrats really that undecided or uh, are Iowans partial to newcomers like Jimmy Carter, Howard Dean, and, until they weren't partial to him, uh, Barack Obama? Uh, and, and we've talked a lot about a, a top tier and a middle tier and a lower tier. Is it just top tier and, and nothing now? Brett, um, Lead us off here. A uh, few of the polls break out these results by congressional districts, but I'm just wondering if you know this uh, squares with what you're hearing and seeing in Northwest Iowa. Right. I want to um, hit the the mid to to lower tier um, just before I, I get to that. But the, the ones that I that I'm curious about um, because uh, of what I've seen in Sulana, and again, this was more towards summer. But um, uh, with like with Kamala Harris, but I'm wondering about Kamala Harris and Amy Klobuchar, and if if they could could break out and and move up over the you know the last few weeks as as we get here. Um, it, it's been a while since Harris has been in Sioux City, but her events were very very solid, very well attended. You know, very passionate with with people, and and Klobuchar, um, she's been very. I don't know, workmanlike, I guess, um, working through you know the state, but also through Northwest Iowa. And she was here just last weekend, and and I'm wondering, um, you know, people really like her. She's very good on policy details, and and I'm I'm wondering. I, I keep wondering about those two, at least from from what I've seen up here in Northwest Iowa. I, I will say that um, we did have a break, so I haven't seen a lot of candidates recently. So October was a very was a very slow period for us up here in Sioux City um, when there was debates and a lot more Eastern Iowa type stops that were happening. But, but yes, so you, um, Bernie Sanders, so, but we are finally ramping up. We had, uh, Bennett, um, the U S Senator from Colorado, basically a one percenter over the last, it was Bennett, Klobuchar and Sanders last weekend. And Sanders had a very large event on a Sunday, which uh, a lot of times Sunday events here are, are not well, at, you know, hugely attended. And he had a very, he had a, a full house there. It was about 300 on a Sunday afternoon up in Orange City. Um, so, um, you know, anecdotally, I would say, um, you know, that that jibes with with the, what the polls are showing him being the top tier. Um, it's been a while, but 
when Warren, Warren has had really good crowds when she's been here and she's due to come back. And Buttigieg, we're, I'm just hearing now, he'll be back the Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, so about a week and a half from now he'll be coming through. And I would guess that he would still be getting good crowds because his previous crowds were very strong here. Um, when I was at Bennett, I will um, I, I will say I, I I always talk to people like what Aaron was talking about, the fluidity of the field. But I always talk to people like, you know, have you decided or who are your top two or three? And and this was a, so this would have been a week ago Friday at Bennett's event. Um, and people are keep saying, you know, yeah, I'm I'm still making up my mind, and you know, they they do have a top two, top three, perhaps, mm-hmm. but they're, they're still definitely in the in the sifting category. And one one other thing, you, you mentioned like what it's like up here in in uh, Northwest Iowa. They people have really wanted to kick the tires on everybody. So uh, again, the, the the example would be a week ago tonight. I was at Bennett. It was a Friday night, cold. There was high school football playoff games happening. I walked in. I didn't know what I, I thought. Twenty people, something. He had like sixty, seventy people. He's a one percenter, and people they want to hear these candidates, and they want to hear, you know, hear hear where they, you know, meet them firsthand, obviously, and and hear where where they are, and and, and as I said, kick the tires. So, again, they're sifting, and um, um, but yeah, overall, anecdotally, the top tier has been pretty strong up here. Amy, uh, what are you seeing there in the Waterloo Cedar Falls area? Yeah, the the candidates that I've heard definitely, um, like you said, if they're getting a big crowd, it's 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 because you know they're they've got these workmanship policies. I think that the moderates are doing a little bit better here for sure. Um, you know, with, maybe with the exception of of Sanders, perhaps, and and possibly Warren, who I'm covering on Saturday. Um, but really, Pete Buttigieg um, is really pushing that message. gets a big crowd for that. Um, even Harris, who is in the lower tier. Um, is really policy driven um, with her criminal justice platform, especially, and, and that's um, you know she gets a good crowd for that. But I think Brett's right, just that people are still because they're still undecided, they'll go to everybody that they can go to. I mean, they they're hearing about this like all over the place. They've got the emails and and if they can, they'll check them out. You know, it's not necessarily uh, an endorsement for them to to go to somebody's event when you're talking to them. They're not going to tell you that they're necessarily supporting them. They're just going to you know, still hear what the candidates have to say. So I think that that bodes well for, for candidates doing more events here. I think the more that they do, the more that they are heard by these Democrats, I think the better that they're going to see their numbers rise, because I think that's really what happened with Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. Aaron, uh, what what are you seeing in the capital city? I mean, is it, uh, you know, is it all locked down there at the with the headquarters of various candidates there in Des Moines uh, or... <laughs> Are there gang wars in the streets? <laughs> well, there was a couple of weeks ago for the LJ. Uh, there were gang wars all around the uh, the the event there, uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Beto O'Rourke's uh, gang lost that one that day because that was the day he dropped out, and the, I felt so bad for poor campaign workers who had been out there rallying for him in the rain all day and then about an hour before the event starts they hear the news um i i i think i think it's been pretty consistent uh with what we've seen in other areas of the state here um um the candidates who are in the top tier are definitely um getting a little bit more interest but as brett noted uh, you see the other candidates who are not polling as well 
and you still see a lot of people coming out for them. Uh, mm-hmm. Kamala Harris is a good example. She had an event here in Ankeny a little while back that was uh, pretty well attended, um, a couple hundred people. Um, so there's still, and again, that speaks to, I think, what we've been really hammering on and hammering on because it's true is that people really haven't, uh, most have not made up their minds yet. They, they, they've got that list that they keep narrowing. Um, but they've not made a final decision and they're still keeping a couple different candidates in mind. And there's still high interest in that, in this race that that hasn't waned, but I, I don't think there's caucus fatigue has set in. There may be candidate fatigue. I, I, I don't know that any Iowa Democrats are super excited that we've got one and possibly two new candidates in the race, uh, this week. Um, but, but as far as the overall caucus fatigue, I don't think that's happened. The people are still coming out to these events. They're still enthusiastic when they do. The supporters are, and 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 the people who are on the fence about candidates are 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 attentive and and taking it all in. Um, and, and this thing's going to be competitive to the bitter end, I think. Todd, let me ask you about the growing field of candidates. Uh, former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick has said he'll run. Michael Bloomberg is testing the waters, and Hillary Clinton said she's being encouraged by many, many, many people <laughs> to run. Uh, is that the answer for uh, Democrats, more candidates? Well, I mean, I was afraid for a while we had some people drop out that we were going to run out of candidates, but it sounds <laughs> like maybe we're going to have enough now, which is good. Uh, well, not not really. I say good isn't bad, I guess. <laughs> I don't, you know, I there's there there are sort of moneyed interests that we hear about in the party that are not happy with Elizabeth Warren and they're scared of Pete Buttigieg cuz he's not very experienced and he's young and he's just he's the mayor of South Bend Indiana for God's sakes and so they're putting feelers out to get you know folks within their circles to run Michael Bloomberg is well within the circles of the moneyed democrats in fact he may be the most moneyed democrat of, of all but uh, although he's been in both parties and no party at one point or another. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's this among the folks that the big we keep reading in places like The New York Times about the big donors being dissatisfied with this field and worried that the nominee is going to emerge that can't beat Donald Trump. It's, it's going to be too, too liberal, too socialist or, or or, you know, unattractive to the electorate. So that's, you know, so it's. It's a it's it's bad for the Democrats in that it it stokes this idea that their candidates that they have right now are unacceptable. Which I don't know if you if you came to Iowa and asked the Iowa caucus electorate that's been seeing a lot of these candidates whether they think they're unacceptable. I think they would probably take issue with that because I think they, you know, we've as as you're talking about all these crowds and and showing up to see these candidates. I think they've the the messages that they've been making here have been resonating. I don't know that Michael Bloomberg or Deval Patrick or any other or Hillary Clinton have a different message or, or would be a different kind of president. So I I I don't think any three of those candidates are going to be much of a factor here. And I I don't know going forward how that works, but it doesn't seem like getting in this late is is, is a, a recipe for success in any in any way, shape or form. All right. Let's move along here to uh, Julian Castro. Uh, he says Iowa has a diversity problem, although Iowa Democrats back the party's first African-American nominee, the first female nominee, and this year <coughs> appears to be trying to choose between a woman and a gay man. Uh, in more diverse California, polls show Warren, Sanders, Biden, and Buttigieg leading the field in that order, just like in in, in Iowa they're leading. Um, but Castro says Iowa shouldn't be first in the nation because it's old, white, and rural. 
Amy, uh, Waterloo is one of the state's more diverse communities. Does does his argument get traction there? You know, I, I've posed this question on Twitter. I didn't get too many replies from anyone other than white men, but even those replies were sort of... And so it, it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting argument because, on the one hand, you're correct that Iowa is not representative of the nation. Um, I think overall... You know, even though Waterloo and the metro area has got about maybe 15 percent um, African-American population and other cities have more diverse uh, Hispanic populations, overall, we are very white. We are much older and we are more rural. Um, and But I think this argument is also sort of about what issues are we, um, I guess, focused on in a wider electorate and um, basically what issues matter to what candidates. And so it really comes down to... Who are you supporting and why? And and the other thing I think to look at is the demographics themselves. I mean, there are there is a black population here. And if you're saying, you know, Iowa doesn't matter because most of Iowa is old, then the black population here doesn't matter to you as well because they're in Iowa. You know, they're not in California, obviously, and their issues might be the same as, you know, other African-Americans around the country, or they might be different. And they're probably a little bit different. So, I mean, there's I think there's just differences in every state. You know, but it's a really interesting topic that you honestly hear every four years. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Aaron, we've heard this criticism before, uh, as Amy said, every four years, at least that often. Um, but but is there vol- validity in what Castro is saying? I mean, is he pulling at 1% because he's a Latino? Or is it because he's a big city mayor who is not connecting with Iowans? Or is it just because he's a Texan? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, did he um, did he say anything about uh, Oklahoma State? Or, I'm sorry, about uh, Texas Tech or, or the Longhorns? Um, you, I don't know that any candidate comes here and performs well or not based on you know demographics. Uh, on we, we've we've seen you listed the examples that we've seen in the past year of, of who Iowa Democrats have have supported and and even on the Republican side we saw um, uh, <laughs> at one point anyways it was fairly short lived but uh, Ben Carson was surging at one point in the caucuses around this time um, four years four years ago um, uh, you mentioned Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Um, and and now Elizabeth Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. Uh, it, it, I don't think the data. You can say, look at the the, the um, you know the results and and say uh, a candidate of a, of, of a certain makeup would come will come to Iowa and not do well. Um, Iowa voters of uh, both political stripes have, have clearly uh, shown that they they have an open mind to, to the candidates that come here uh, hoping to be president. Um, does it influence, as Amy touched on, the issues that maybe get a little extra attention? How, you know, maybe, you know, just, you know, look, it would be difficult to argue that ethanol is, is not a big deal as it is at the federal level because of Iowa's place in the presidential nominating um, process. You'd be hard pressed to, to, to convince anyone otherwise there. But at the same time, you know, it, it's up to the candidates who come here for them to set their agenda and their policies, and then and then let the 
let the people respond to those. I mean, yeah, Iowans get a chance to talk about whatever issues they want, and they get to ask questions about that. But that's that's only part of the equation. The other part is the candidates themselves setting their agendas. They still have complete control over that, no matter what state they're in, and and the voters here have to respond to that as well. So, I it, I think this is one of those classic. There's there's fair points on both sides of this. Um, and at the end of the day, um, it probably doesn't matter a whole lot until you get a president in office who doesn't like Iowa as a first in the nation caucus state. That's probably true. Yeah. Um, Todd, this does seem like a rather strange strategy for someone who has pulled their campaign resources out of other states to concentrate on Iowa and then say, yeah, Iowa shouldn't be first. Um, yeah, I mean, it is. It is odd, and there's that angle to it that, you know, the argument that he's trying to get some attention for a campaign that hasn't done very well. But but as has been said, he's he's right in a lot of ways about his, in his criticism of the caucuses. Uh, you know, on top of that, you've got these accessibility problems in a caucus where people who have to work or are disabled can't always get to the, the precinct meeting, and the Iowa Democrats tried to address that, and uh, their plan was rejected by the National Party, so that didn't work out, but... Uh, and, you know, and, and for Castro, you know, I, I think, you know, the problem is for those lower tier candidates is you've got a field with the former vice president and Bernie Sanders, who ran last time, and Elizabeth Warren, who's been a brand name on the progressive side of politics for a long time. Pete Buttigieg is the lone kind of surprise in that group, but he's campaigned in Iowa hard. I mean, and that's it's, it's a funny thing. If you spend a lot of time in Iowa and you give good speeches and have nice appearances and meet a lot of people and say what they like, uh, you tend to get some support. I mean, it's just kind of a weird mm-hmm. political – I mean, I don't, I don't know how it works. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of a strange, a strange alchemy, I guess. So, so that's, you know, that's why they're where they are. And, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think a more constructive way to meet what Castro, you know – talked about is to is to talk about those accessibility issues and how they might be solved and also look at the problems facing the minorities that do live in the state uh and there are efforts to reform the justice system here to look at achievement gaps to look at economic barriers particularly in urban areas i mean so uh that's that's kind of the way to, to start to talk about what castro's getting at and uh and it, and it's a, it is a perennial or every four-year quad- quadrennial yeah. argument. And and the reason why, even though it's valid, that Iowa remains first is that no one has yet to come up with an alternative system that everybody can accept mm-hmm. because nobody wants anybody but themselves to go first. And so basically you've got uh, a constituency inadvertently for the status quo because no one can agree on, on to, how to do anything else. So we've benefited from inaction. <laughs> and <laughs> inertia, and we and and if there's anything you can count on in politics, it's that. And I think that's that's how we're going to stay in good shape. Consistency, yeah. yes, yeah. The the one thing that has kind of surprised me about Castro's uh, argument is not that he said what he said, but he's really pushing it. I mean, he said yeah. it, he said it on NBC News, and then he sent out a news release, you know, saying like, "Hey, this is what I said," and he has responded to everybody who has responded to him, pretty much. Uh, I mean, he's doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on this, um, which just surprises me a little bit that he's being so aggressive in, in making the case that um, the people he's asking to support him shouldn't be getting this 
um, you know, leadoff position. So. Next week, your sweet corn isn't really all that good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the butter cow. Your, I hate your, the butter cow. Your state fair is boring. Yeah. That's 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 up next. <laughs> it's a strategy. It's a campaign strategy. It's been focus grouped. Yeah. <laughs> it was in focus, Texas. Focus group in Texas and Illinois. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Speaking of focus groups, let's talk about impeachment. Uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, uh, before he opened his uh, weekly call with reporters uh, to questions, said, I know you all want to talk about impeachment because at least that's the way it is out here in Washington, D.C. So, uh, Amy, let me ask you, is impeachment all people want to talk about in uh, Waterloo and Cedar Falls? Uh, is it sucking all the oxygen out of the caucus campaign? You know, and not that we've seen. It's, you know, can I touch on it a little bit, if only for maybe a uh, applause line or something like that, but I'm not really talking about it, and, and nobody else is either when you talk to people about what their big issues are. They don't want to talk about, you know, current events necessarily. Um, I think maybe it's just the wrong question at these events, because they came to sort of hear ideas for the next presidency, but but yeah, it, it doesn't seem to be a big um, talking point for sure. So, Aaron, is that because Democrats and, and probably Republicans, too, uh, have their minds made up about impeachment and they're unlikely to change um, their minds about whether the president should be impeached or, or, or not? Yeah, I think if you're talking about a general election crowd, um, and I think there's polling data that shows this, that um, uh, most people who are either already firmly Democrats or Republicans – um, are highly unlikely to have their minds changed um, by by these proceedings. Now, there's as we always talk about, there's a section of the voting general election voting electorate that is not, you know, passionately Republican or Democrat, and, and maybe there's um, a chance that uh, some slice of that pie um, could be moved um, by by these things, especially if something um, particularly uh, damning comes out of them. Um, but yeah, as far as the partisan folks, uh, don't ex- expect any big swings of the, um, of the, the pendulum. Um, the one thing that's interesting that I'll add, um, when we talk about the caucuses here is, um, I think there are two ways you got to look at this is, and Amy is a hundred percent correct. When you go to events, candidates aren't really talking about impeachment, um, uh, like she said, other than for the occasional applause line, um, and the voters really aren't at all. It, when 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 Iowans get a chance to ask questions, it's rarely to never about impeachment. That's just not a part of the calculus um, for how they're going to pick one of these candidates. Now that doesn't mean they're not paying attention to impeachment. I think that's the thing that um, also bears noting. You know, th- this is a highly engaged process. People are tuned into this. Um, uh, they, they're paying attention. It's just not when we say Iowa Democrats aren't focused on impeachment. That's what we mean is that they're not using that to help them pick a presidential candidate. I think right. it's safe to say they are paying attention um, to the news. They're following this. They're just not. It's just not a part of their their calculus. It's part of caucus calculus. Yeah, <laughs> it apparently is part of uh, Representative <laughs> Steve King's calculus, though he's uh, been a staunch defender of the president, <laughs> and he's uh, weighing in uh, on these impeachment proceedings. 
Um, Brett, uh, what does Congressman King have to say about this? Well, he's been a very um, staunch supporter of the president throughout this, and and um, um, there was the uh, as, you know that's been going back for for weeks into the summer. You know, as it was as it was gaining ground, you know, will there be an inquiry? Like, will will Democrats actually open an inquiry? And you know, throughout all that, King was you know, you know against that. But of course, there was a thing about I don't know two to three weeks ago where he um, there was about twenty five uh, House Republicans that burst into that. Um, I guess it was a deposition of a um, de- Defense Department official, I think, and um, and they broke in and. Said you know we needed uh, you know be able to see what's going on here you you know you're why are you shutting us out and, and he called it a, you know a great atrocity and and it turned out that you know of course that there was all kinds of access that Republicans could have had to that you know, that were in in these meetings and you know could ask questions and such but that's just an example of what he did and yesterday he upped the upped the ante sorry on um, uh, his. Uh, his defense of the president, and, and I guess in, in the, this new strand of Republicans wanting to uh, name the whistleblower, have the whistleblower be named, um, which was a point that uh, Jim Jordan, the, the Ohio Republican, had had raised uh, the other morning um, of wanting uh, Adam Schiff to, to give the identity and and uh, sorry as background, you should I should say that. Joni Ernst and, and Chuck Grassley, who are the the U.S. senators, have said that the 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 um, identity of the whistleblower should be protected. That you know, they, uh, against any retaliation that could be done. That you know, there, that there is a reason why whistleblowers, you know, throughout the years have been protected because they do a you know a public service. Anyway, having said all that, King is is one of those who wants to um, give the, get the identity of. And through some tweets yesterday, he uh, falsely accused or falsely tweeted that uh, the whistleblower could be. Um, um, Alexander Soros, who is a son of George Soros, the the big Democratic fundraiser. So this was in a in a series of two tweets that King did um, yesterday morning. For the first tweet, it was a photo of um, um, Alexander Soros. I'm sorry, and, and King's tweet tweeted something like, uh, "We don't know the Schiff won't say who the whistleblower is, but here's here's a here's a possible possibility." And it was of uh, the younger Soros. And, and and four photos with uh, people like Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Elizabeth Warren. I'm sorry, another Democrat. I can't recall the other Democrat, but um, and people were kind of scratching their heads as to what that was about. Was it you know humorous? Was it you know, you know what was what was the connection there? And you know once they figured out who it was, and because this Soros is not he's not in a federal government mental agency. King then deleted that tweet. By the early afternoon, then he had tweeted out another photo of, um, of a person who some on the right have said photos perhaps of, of who this whistleblower, who certain news organizations are identifying and a lot of news organizations are not identifying. So obviously when, you know, taking that type of, a, of an approach, King is, you know, very much a pit bull um, on this issue and, and defending the president through through the impeachment. Has this become an issue at all in the primary uh, race up to, in the 4th District in the GOP primary? Yeah, it's it's a five-person race, uh, not not heavy. Um, um, there's, 
I looked through all of the Twitter feed of Randy Feenstra, and I went back two months, and he hasn't. There isn't one reference to the impeachment that I saw, and he's the he's the polling. Uh, I'm sorry, he's the uh, money uh, fundraising uh, leader. Um, a lot of see a lot of people see him as the as the kind of the, the chief rival for for King. He's a state senator out of Hull. Um, the other candidates are not, with the exception of Jeremy Taylor. He's a former legislator out of Sioux City. And he is one who has been on Twitter and other um, in campaign events. From what I understand, he's been saying it's time to end, end, these, end the impeachment. And he's so be King and Taylor would be the, the two that are doing it of the five. Um, but certainly King would would be you know to the to the top of that level. Okay, Todd. Um... Pulling on impeachment is largely split along party lines. Uh, however, back in the Nixon impeachment investigation, uh, there came a sort of a tipping point where public opinion started to shift. Um, given our current polarization, what would trigger a significant change in public opinion about President Donald Trump and impeachment? Or will the GOP's not as outlandish as it could be defense uh, win the day? Well, I you know I don't I don't know if there's anything at this point that could change the minds of the folks that are dug in. If he uh, shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, yeah, maybe, maybe. Although you know, uh, I think Schiff like made him do it, something like that. But uh, you know, the couple asterisks I guess on that are you've got a couple of legal fights going on. One is over you know whether these White House people with more direct knowledge into what actually happened can be you know, compelled to testify. Mm -hmm. If that happens, then it's possible that a a John Bolton or someone's testimony could, could make a difference. Uh, Also, you've got this fight over the president's tax returns. That's going to the Supreme court. I I don't know when that will be addressed in the Supreme court, but, but that's another sort of offshoot of, of these investigations that could conceivably bring, you know, bring some sort of uh, revelations that we don't know of right now that could be, that could change the, the you know the, the game. So, with those two asterisks, I guess you could see a change. But all things remaining constant as we as we're headed right now, I I don't I don't see a lot of uh, a lot of Republicans, you know, suddenly, you know, switching sides and and condemning the president because he still remains pretty popular and and Republican office holders are loath to do so. Someone suggested this morning that it might be more likely the president would, would resign uh, to avoid turning over his income tax returns than uh, yeah. for obstructing justice and quid pro quos and those sorts of things. So, right. But that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. hope it's been worth your time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show and tell a friend, subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Johnny on Point will take us out today. And if you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file. And remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Brett, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.